0: Fight for love Welcome to Breaking Through with me, Kristen Ralph-Inkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We have a show that is going to give you information, the real truth. It's gonna bust some disinformation and it's gonna inspire you. We start out talking about what's happening with teachers and banned books and parents' rights in America and why we really need to move forward parents' real rights, not moving forward bills of parents' wrongs. Then we hear what's happening with National Domestic Workers Alliance and the work of care, both paid and unpaid, and get tips on how you can take action after that we dive into paid family medical leave virtually every other country on the planet earth has it how can we get it to we hear from paid leave for all about what's happened and where we need to go and then we check in on maternal mortality and how to save lives we're going to jump right in with our first guest We are joined right now by a spectacular inspiring nation lifting guest you are going to love, 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 love hearing from Mary Kussler from the NEA. Welcome, Mary. Hi,
1: Kristen. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me here with you.
0: I'm so excited to have you here because parents and teachers are united and wanting the very best for our students, wanting the very best for our children, wanting the very best for our communities. And there has been a force of, shall I say, evil, a force that the Southern Poverty Law Center named an extremist hate group, the Moms for Liberty. Now, let me tell you people, they are actually Moms Against Liberty. And they have been messing around with school boards, pushing forward bans, pushing forward censorship, and limiting our choices as parents. And then name when they're saying that they're doing the opposite, the ultimate gaslighting. But this election just happened mom's rose dad's rose people voted and change happened what happened mary absolutely
1: well i could not be more proud to be here representing the three million educators of nea but also as a mom of a 15 year old boy and an 11 year old boy. I am in the thick of it right now with my kids in school. So I get this both from representing educators, but also to being a mom in this moment. And what we really saw this past uh, election day in November is that sanity prevailed. And what we saw were pro-public education wins all over the country. We saw pro-public education majorities retake the Virginia Senate and hold on to the House, thereby pushing back on the DeVos-esque agenda of Governor Glenn Youngkin. We saw the incredible reelection of Governor Andy Bashir and his Lieutenant Governor, who is an actual classroom educator. Jacqueline is like right there. They are elected and today is an exciting day because they are getting sworn in today. We saw incredible victories in New Jersey, across the board, where these issues have been front and center uh, in terms of education and that partnership between schools and educators and communities and families. Um, But what was the most exciting thing is we saw victories across the country of pro-public education school board members. We saw parents and communities reject those that are looking to limit access of resources for kids, are looking to limit what teachers are teaching in the classroom. And instead, we saw educators and parents and communities rise up together to preserve that freedom to teach and that freedom to learn. And so we just saw that the forces that know what they love in their local public schools actually showed up to vote and we can't stop here there is so much more to stand up and vote for
0: you have esp because i was about to ask you what happens next because look we won the moms against liberty lost 70% of their endorsed races, because guess what? Real moms, we knew this, real dads, we also knew this, don't want censorship bans and harm in the classroom. What? That doesn't belong there. Of course not. So they lost 70% of their races. The question now is, do we need to keep fighting? Do we need to keep voting? Should everyone check their vote and make sure they're still registered to vote right now? What's happening as we move into 2024, Mary?
1: So let's talk about a couple of things because I think there's some really exciting aspects here. Number one, let's talk about a state like Iowa. If you are living in Iowa or you're watching what's going in Iowa, things have not been going well for public schools and communities and progressive values in Iowa. And what we saw this past cycle in a state that many people have been disappointed and disheartened, and many would have wanted to give up on, they did not give up. And they beat back every Moms for Liberty candidate in every single competitive race across the country. They had a hundred percent record where they engaged against Moms for Liberty candidates. And so first of all, we got to remember, no matter where you live, you can make a difference. You can make a difference. And so do not give up. Do not give up about, do not let these outside forces take over what is happening in your school districts and in your community. Number two, um these elections aren't just about an election right these don't and i think the greatest example um was this incredible swearing in of the new board member who was going to be the new board school board chair in central bucks county in pennsylvania now for those of you who may not know pennsylvania politics bucks county pennsylvania outside philadelphia was like ground zero for the moms against liberty nonsense going on and they had tried to take over the school board and the community came back and not only did they win were we able to win every single school board race there but we were able to come and elect a pro-public education, pro-student, pro-educator, school board chair, who instead of getting sworn into her school board chairmanship uh, on a Bible, got sworn in on a stack of banned books. Doesn't that just send a message to the community about what we're actually standing up for our youth? The last thing we can do is there is an incredible amount of elections this year. So number one, do not sit out any election. There are elections that will be happening in March. There'll be primaries. There'll be local municipal elections. There will be school budget elections. Do not sit out any election this year. Because when we sit out elections and we don't vote, we let other people tell our story. And we can't go back and erase that story. That story is there. So we can't give up our right to tell. let people, um, let ourselves tell our own story and elect our own leaders. But I do not think we could think about a bigger priority this year than re-electing the most pro-public education candidate uh, for president, that is President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. We have never seen an administration that has leaned in heavier to support working families, working moms, schools, public education, that partnership, the care economy, we have just not seen somebody who have really lifted up the voices of moms, of families, and of the importance of the public education system of corner of democracy. And we are all going to have to do everything we can to talk to everybody we know about the importance of this year's elections. 150%
0: agree with you. And I'm so glad you lifted up the importance of reelecting President Joe Biden and Vice President Harris. As listeners maybe recall, they recently helped pass the CARE executive order. By recently, I mean, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary and time flies, so it feels like yesterday to me. But it was a very big executive order that spanned a lot of different policy areas within CARE. Also recently, they requested Congress establish that 12 or $16 billion to stabilize our childcare system. There have been so many moments, including the Build Back Better Package, which included paid family medical leave, a transformation of our childcare system, home and community-based services and educational support that the Biden-Harris administration have pushed forward and pushed our national narrative forward around care and around education in a way that reflects who we are as voters. And let's talk about that for a minute because one of the things that I'm hearing between the lines of what you're saying, Mary, is that it doesn't matter what political party we are. Everybody (laughs) in polling, across all political parties, Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarian, green party, whatever political party you are, generally support the education of children. And by the way, building a care infrastructure. And by the way, generally don't support book bans, censorship and harm that is driving teachers out of the profession. And so when we look at what happened with this year's elections, we see some surprising things. You lifted up some areas, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, that is traditionally not necessarily the deep blue of Democrats um, that had some significant wins. And so sometimes people tell me they look at the newspaper, they look at, you know, the micro targeted data that they're getting aimed at them on their cell phones, on the social media platforms that they're on. And they're like, I feel a lot of stress. I feel a lot of tension, I feel a lot of anxiety, nothing can go right in America. Well, Mary and I are here to tell you that there is hope. We see things going right in America every day, and we see things going right in America when, as Mary said, people engaged. When you raise your voice, when you make that call to your member of Congress, when you take time to cast that ballot from everything from the school board member to the president of the United States of America. It doesn't take a lot of time, but when we all take those little bits of time together, we see these dramatic changes in red, blue, purple, green, and every kind of state, right? And so what do you have to say to people who are feeling cynical? They're reading you know, the front pages of CNN and they're like, I give up, this is impossible. Why is it possible, Mary?
1: Well, let's just talk about a couple of ways it's possible. It's possible because we have no other alternatives. And we've got to remember that what we're reading in the news, what we're seeing online is all being curated. We are only seeing a portion of the picture. That's why it's great. You're listening to this podcast because you got to see through and you got to seek the truth and we're talking nothing but truth here. So you got to remember sometimes what you're there. This Like we cannot sit back as moneyed right wing forces are harming our children. That it goes against everything we are, as parents, as families, as caregivers. We never want to put our children in a position where they are being harmed. And so we have to stop. We have to step up. And if you ever want to see small miracles being performed every day, to lighten your heart. Go volunteer in your child or your grandchild or just the public schools classrooms. The educators of this country are getting up all day every day to do what's right for kids. They are tired just like everybody else. They are being named the enemies of the state. They are being told they are indoctrinating our children. They are harming our children. When we all know the reason education, educators go into the profession is to do what's right for kids. So if you really want to see about people not giving up, showing up and supporting in your local schools, Bringing some baked goods through the faculty lounge, or even just sending notes of thanks for educators who very rarely get thanked um, would go such a long way and be incredibly inspiring, especially at this moment as we're getting ready uh, to go into this new year and go into all the craziness that we're going to see as we're all fighting for every single right in these upcoming elections.
0: Hey, listeners, you heard it. Send a thank you note to a teacher, maybe two or three teachers in your lives. Remember that teachers are people too. In fact, most teachers are also parents. Call your member of Congress and tell them to keep moving forward on supporting public education and against book bans and censorship. And then make sure that you're registered to vote. In addition to that, how can people support the NEA? We have about one and a half minutes left
1: absolutely so we have uh two ways you can support the NEA somewhat is just supporting our members and our incredible educators in their district but another really great way is if you go to nea.org n e a.org and type in community ally we have an incredible community ally membership because we need to show this isn't just about educators Uh, It is about communities stepping up for their public schools. And we are always looking for those that are willing to align with us. It's a $30 membership to be a member of NEA as a community ally. And we love to show that the public is with our educators and our public schools.
0: Thank you so much for being on, Mary. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for making sure that there are teachers in every classroom and that those teachers are supported. Thank you for supporting kids and parents. I mean, I can't tell you listeners how much the NEA does behind the scenes, how much teachers do behind the scenes, how much teachers make a difference, not just in the education of our children, but in the lives of our children. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Mary. And thank you for being on with us today
1: absolutely appreciate it and thank you to you for the partnership but also for your listeners for doing what they're doing in their communities every day
0: we're going to take a quick break but stick around next up we're talking about the paid and unpaid work of care why it's so important and what you can do we'll be back in a quick flash we to for love Me, Kristen Ralph Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We are joined right now by Jen Stowe, who you are going to love, 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 adore hearing from. She's going to fire you up. She's going to inspire you. Jen Stowe is with the National Domestic Workers Alliance. Welcome, Jen.
2: Thank you so much for that amazing, incredible, and warm welcome,
0: Kristen. It's all accurate. So, Jen, National Domestic Workers, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that in many of our standard labor force laws, there have been exemptions for domestic workers that are just awful, ridiculous, and need to be fixed immediately. Would you mind bringing our listeners up to date why there is a crisis that we are facing that we must absolutely address not today, but yesterday with making sure domestic workers have rights?
2: Yes, of course. So domestic workers are the nannies, the house cleaners, the home care workers who do the essential work of caring for our loved ones in our homes and You know, quite frankly, they make all work possible. That's what we like to say. And um, they were excluded along with farm workers out of a lot of labor protections that were in the New Deal in the 1930s. So this means um, they don't have a right to um, pay leave, overtime, um, retirement contracts. And so a lot of the work that we do is to make sure that we can strike those exclusions, um, and make sure that we can reverse a lot of the sexist and racist, um, policies that were, that were, um, driven back in that time, that impacts them today.
0: And one of the things that I've been so inspired by, and remember listeners, I mentioned the word inspired in the introduction is that you're winning at the state level. You're marching yes. state policies toward the federal level. You have a lot of wins. Do you wanna share with our listeners a little bit about the wins and maybe even how they can help make more wins happen?
2: Absolutely. So we have tons of wins on the state level. We have passed 10 state and four city bills of rights across the country. Uh, domestic workers' bills of rights, this is our marquee bill. This is our bill that we use and utilize to strike those exclusions that I was talking about. And so we're going to keep winning. We're going to keep the momentum up on the state level, but we also have wins on the national level. Um, You know, Kristen, um, and I'm sure your audience knows that we had a huge win last year with the signing of the CARE Executive Order um, by President Biden. So we've been working to implement Um, a lot of things that were in that order. And we have uh, recently come to um, a agreement with the Department of Labor that they are gonna publish templates for contracts for domestic workers, which is huge. So we're celebrating that win um, this week and, and in subsequent weeks too, and making sure that we can get the news out to folks.
0: Are there ways that people can get involved, hear the news, keep engaged?
2: Yes, and so we know that, you know, The lack of contracts is quite frankly the norm in domestic work Um, and is often a factor in workplace abuse and confusion, miscommunication. And so the templates are incredible because they're really going to be a tool that works for workers and employers. So if anyone is an employer of a domestic worker um, or if anyone is a domestic worker and they want to get Um, a copy of these templates, they should go to our website at domesticworkers.org and they can download them um, and they can use them um, to spark conversation and discussion um, with their workers or with their employers.
0: One of the things that a lot of people have been expressing lately is a worry and anxiety about the lack of hope in America. Mm -hmm. Where do you find hope?
2: You know what, I find hope in the organizers. So many of us are organizing across the country and we haven't let up. A lot of us have been organizing, um, you know, um, for um, a few years. Some of us are really just getting grounded in movements. There are a lot of people who've been doing this work that I work with who've been doing this work for 20 years, 30 years, for decades. And I think that we have momentum Um, I believe in people power, and I believe in centering people, and I think that one good thing about organizers, um, especially a lot of women that we organize with Kristen, is that we center the people. We center the women, their needs, Um, and so I'm excited about that. Every time someone shares their story, every time someone gets engaged or we add someone to our network, um, it makes me fired up. There's a lot um, of grief and sadness. And there are a lot of things happening in the country um, that uh, can kind of get you down in the dumps. Um, And at the same time, I feel really hopeful about the power of the people and the possibility um, of what happens when we really ground ourselves in community.
0: 150,000% agree with you. (laughs) Um, Speaking of grounding ourselves, Mm -hmm. coming up, you have a exciting moment with the labor secretary julie sue that is a grounding for excitement about the future for excitement about change for lifting up domestic workers and so much more can our listeners get involved with that
2: yes so um we actually already had the event
0: what? Um, can we he, rewatch it? Yes, yes.
2: <laughs> you know what? We'll make sure that you can re-watch it. I'm sure that we're going to post a recording. But Acting Secretary um, Julie Sue is an incredible. She is a champion of workers. She's a champion of working women. Um, and she has been um, a champion of our cause in domestic work for a long time. And so we held an event where she got to speak directly to some of our members and hear from them Um, hear from them about um, some things that they have gone through with their employers, some challenges that they've had. But she also got to just express her commitment to building worker power, to making sure that workers can really have jobs that speak to their need for respect and dignity. Um, And so she also spoke to a few employers as well. So it was an incredible event. And I'm thinking about our member, Bonnie, um, who is from Houston, Texas. She was talking about her employer and how she was um, hired as a live-in nanny. But these are the things she didn't have before she started the job. She did not have an establishment of her work hours. She didn't have um, the her employer tried to control her living space. Um, She didn't really have an agreement on her exact pay. So it was so good for Secretary Sue to hear these things because this is the importance of a contract and it was really powerful.
0: That's amazing. When you're looking at the 2024 elections Mm -hmm. and the policies that presidential candidates may or may not be talking about, what should people who are listening right now be looking for presidential candidates to say? And if they're not saying it, what questions should they be asking?
2: I really think that listeners should be looking for policies that speak to the care agenda, obviously, policies that speak to the need for paid leave, um, child care, And um, elder care, elder and disability care. Uh, You know, all of us will either take care of someone or be taken care of. So I think this is an issue that touches each and every one of us. And so it's really important that we ask um, electeds, you know, where they stand on the issue. And if they say, you know, I'm not sure, I don't have a point of view, really push them to have a point of view. And follow up with them and make sure that they know that care is something that you care about um, and that you'll be holding them accountable, you know. So I really think that they that folks need to be asking about care um, and the policies that they support and really using that um, at the ballot box next November.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that I think is so important is that there is a lot of work of care. There's the work of care work. There's the paid and unpaid work related to care. There's mm-hmm. also child care, home and community-based services, paid family medical leave, and importantly, fair pay for care workers with workplace protections for care That's workers. Right. And when we look at what's happening in our country and in our economy, we see that the Bureau of Labor Statistics predicts that the care workforce is one of the main workforces that is expected to expand into future generations. The care workforce is something that can't be overtaken by AI. The work of care is personal. And as you said, the work of care makes all other work possible. So when we're looking at care, we're looking at a change in how we think about care. Too often people have thought, Care just happens. It doesn't just happen, it's work, whether it's paid or unpaid. And what's your take on the fact that people often overlook the importance of the work of care to the extent that care workers are paid significantly lower wages than most other jobs, wages that need to be raised so that people can actually stay in the care workforce, a profession which is loved?
2: Yeah, a lot of times, um, Kristen, you know, we say and think that Um, the history of this work and the history of the exclusions have really um, impacted how the work is seen today. We know that care work, um, caring for folks is often seen as when people do it and they're paid, they're often seen as the help. We know that when people do it, oftentimes women and they're unpaid, um, even the folks who do the care work themselves often think of it as this is my responsibility this is you know my individual burden and this is something that i simply just should do i should take care of my mother i should take care of my other um, loved ones who are aging and the fact of the matter is um we want to move people to understand that um even if you do everything right even if you take all the steps that they tell you to take you know and able to be set up in order to be set up well to care for your loved ones the system—it's a systemic issue—and um, you're still going to have challenges, and that is not the way that it should be. So we want people to have be grounded in a new common sense about this country. You know that number one, everyone in this country deserves care, and number two that. The government has a role to play in it. It isn't this individual burden. Um, You know, it really should be thought of as something that the government should step in um, and support the infrastructure for. And so um, we really want to um, shift folks' thinking. We also want. To, um, we want folks to understand that the people who provide this care should be, should be paid a family sustaining wage. We say family sustaining wage because they should be able to take care of their own family members. You know, they do this work as a calling, a lot of them, and they want to do this work. And we should make sure that they, there's a pathway to do so for as ever long as they want to. And so we really want to shift how people think about care and care work. And we think that um, if folks really um, harness this thinking around um, it being a collective, it'll be better for the country and allow us to really um, age and in the way that we want to.
0: When we're looking at the future, Jen, and we're seeing Mm -hmm. what's possible, what's your favorite vision of what's possible?
2: Uh, You know what? I would like to believe that we can build a world where People have choice, people have a choice in how they are cared for um, when they start to age. I think that is so important. I think if we, if we build the infrastructure that we need in this country, people can live intergenerationally. Um, people can actually live out their biggest dreams and visions knowing that their loved ones are taken care of. I think it will allow people to um, really age with a sense of dignity. Um, it will allow people to be in the sandwich generation and not be squeezed, you know, as they current currently are. So I really think about um, a world where we have choice in how we age and where we age, um, and we're not um, shouldered with that burden, you know, from 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 the time that we that we get older and reach retirement age. That's my vision.
0: I love that vision. Can you share how people can join and support the National Domestic Workers Alliance before we? end this interview? Because I know everybody wants to.
2: Yes, we want people to get involved. We want people to join this movement. Please go to our website at domesticworkers.org. So domesticworkers.org. There you can get more information about us. You can download um, examples of those template contracts. You can sign on to our email list, learn more about our campaigns and get in touch with us. So we want you in this movement um, and you can go to our website uh, to tap in.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for being on. It's such a joy and delight to work with you, to learn from you, to be inspired by you, and to see the changes that you and the national domestic workers are making happen at the state and federal level each and every day. Thank you, thank you.
2: Thank you, Kristen.
0: We're gonna take a quick break, but don't go away. Next up, paid family medical leave. Why does every other country have it on the planet Earth and we don't yet? How can we get it? Find out in just a minute for love Fight for love. Fight for love welcome back to breaking through with me Kristen Ralph finer powered by Mom's Rising we are joined right now by a spectacular 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 extra spectacular guest Don Hucklebridge of paid leave for all. Welcome Don.
3: You know, every time Chris and I just like marvel at how much better these intros get. Thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> I'm so excited. Listeners, Don is back because Don is lifting something so important, paid family medical leave. There are every other country on the planet except 6 that have this policy in place. Paid family medical leave is for when a new baby arrives or for when a serious health crisis strikes or for when a loved one experiences a critical care emergency. We need this policy yesterday. It's good for businesses. It's good for families. It's good for all of us. And yet we don't have it. Today, we are celebrating the 10th anniversary of the introduction of the Family Act. And Dawn, what's happening? Oh, man.
3: Celebrate is a funny word because we are celebrating. We're also like a little bit... um... And if grieving is the word, we're frustrated that it has been 10 years of fighting for a policy we should have had more than 10 years ago. But nonetheless, we are celebrating because we've made a ton of progress. We have a lot of momentum. And my promise, my hope, my conviction, my mission is that it will not be another 10 years before we finally pass paid family medical leave in this country. But yes, 10 years ago today, the Family Act, which is the, legis- <clears throat> excuse me, the legislation in Congress that would pass paid family medical leave was first introduced. Um, and I think if folks don't know, it's a pretty common sense thing. It's just ensuring that if you have a serious health condition or someone, a loved one, someone in your family does, that you can care for yourself or that person without risking a job or a paycheck. And in most of the world, this is common sense and it's taken for granted.
0: It is so annoying slash making my hair light on fire slash making smoke come out of my ears that we don't have this policy yet in the United States of America because we know it works. This is not an experimental policy, people. Right. When virtually yeah. of every other country on the actual planet Earth has this policy in place, all of the unintended consequences have been flattened out of the policy. We know this policy works to help businesses retain highly valued employees when they have a new baby or a serious health crisis of themselves or a close loved one we know that this policy helps increase maternal health and decrease maternal mortality and infant mortality we know that this policy helps people i think I already said this, is why i'm gonna say it again stay in the labor force yeah. like if you have no paid family medical leave and you get immediately kicked out of your job because you don't have any paid family medical leave, what are you supposed to do? Then it's hard to get back into the labor force. Um, Infant child care is extraordinarily expensive and not even available in most places. And child care overall costs more than college. So if you have a gap in your pay, then how are you actually going to be able to afford child care? So this is like a win-win-win policy. It has passed in more than a dozen places, and we've learned a lot. We've learned that taxpayers save money. There's lower need for SNAP and other government programs when you have paid family medical leave. We've learned that businesses actually have lower turnover and recruitment costs because they could keep those employees. And we've learned that lives are saved. What do you think it's going to take, Don, to finally pass this policy since all the data is in, the policy is ready, we are fired up and ready to go, (laughs) Democrats love it, Republicans love it, you have a poll that shows it. What's it going to take?
3: yes um you know i think it's frustrating exactly as you said the the evidence has been mounting for truly decades uh there is no there's no one i like i'd like to find a politician who comes out and says i'm opposed to this you know i'm opposed to a a parent being with their newborn or i'm opposed to someone um you know the idea that someone shouldn't be fired after they've had a horrible injury on the job um so i think this is common sense stuff But what I think we need to do is we know from polling that the support is higher than ever, it's at record highs, we know intensity of support is higher than ever, the urgency of support is higher than ever. And I think we need to somehow better communicate, better transfer that energy to our elected officials. Or maybe perhaps we need to change who our elected officials are, because this is something that is wildly popular. As you said, it's a win-win-win. In a time when I think a lot of working families are still looking for more solutions, this would be such an elegant, impactful solution to our lives, to balancing family and work and care and all of these things, and the costs, losing wages, worrying about affordable care. Um, This is something, as we talked about, most of the world takes for granted, Um, something that is just simple common sense. And I think we need to figure out how to uh, multiply our political will or, again, Um, put pressure on electeds to deliver, uh, because I think that we're building, we're winning, we're getting closer. But like it's overdue. As I said, it should have been passed ten years ago. It should have been passed thirty years ago. And we need to make sure that it happens ASAP.
0: How are we going to do that?
3: So here's what I think. I mean, we got we had a lot of plans cooking. I know that Kristen does too. I think that we need to build a bigger army. Forgive the war term. I think that we have a lot of people who care. And what we need to do is to make sure that you're all plugged in. So it means that you need to be, uh, and we need to be supporting all of you, and I know we're, we're working on it, and, money, and we are in the progress, um, to make sure you have the resources you need to demand this of your candidates, of your elected officials, um, up and down the ballot, uh, everything from the White House down to your local electives. Um, you need to vote in every single election, of course. Uh, you need to make sure that you are voting for the candidate that is supporting these issues, that you're asking the candidates and the electeds if they support these issues, asking, are you fighting for a federal paid family medical leave policy? What are you doing? Do you support it? When will you get it done? Um, And really exercising the power that you have, and it's, and it's real you know, we talk about this a lot. We think sometimes, oh, making calls to the congressional switchboard or sending emails doesn't matter. It does matter. Actually, they count them. So all of this stuff, everything, every little tiny thing you do does add up. It matters. And we can offer resources. I know all of our organizations and our partners offer a lot of what we try to make really easy tools to use. Um, But you need to show up in all the ways you can in person, on the phone, in email, et cetera, et cetera, and keep asking and putting the pressure on them because... As we always like to remind people, our electives work for us, and if they're not helping your family and meeting your needs, they need to do a better job.
0: Hundred percent. That means voting in people who reflect and respect us, which brings us to your latest poll. What does it say?
3: Yes, so I'm very excited about this. Um, so I'm the head of both Paid Leave for All, Paid Leave for All Action, and also on the side, my uh, Paid Leave Pack. Um, Through our political arm, paid leave for all action, we did some polling just last month in battleground stage. This means not red, not blue, uh, places where, you know, there's a good mix of political affiliations. We found there that not only is paid leave wildly popular, which we've always found to be true, but it is at all time record highs, both in levels of support and what's really important is intensity of support. We found 96% of Democrats. 82% of independents, and 76% of Republicans in battleground states want and support paid family medical leave. We found two thirds of them felt motivated to go to the polls if their candidates supported it. And we found this across people, again, across party lines, across demographics, across walks of life, everything from young voters of color to suburban moms, to Gen Z voters, to again, 76% of Republicans. Um, So I think this is really important and it's something we're trying to just, you know, in all the ways we possibly can communicate this to our electeds, to our political institutions, to our friends, partners, everyone across this country, that this is a winning issue and candidates need to be championing it and they need to deliver.
0: 150,000%. And what I'm hearing you say, I'm just going to say it again, is... Candidates, members of Congress need to pay attention to paid family medical leave because Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Libertarians, Green Party, no matter what party people are in, they support the policy of paid family medical leave. And right now we are in a situation where it's no longer a question of if, but when we pass this policy, because so many constituents across all political parties support it. And if you are a candidate or a member of Congress or an elected official, who does not support this policy, then you, elected official, are out of step with your constituents are in danger of losing your office. Which brings us to this. Everyone listening needs to make sure that they're registered to vote now already, 150% that too. Because your votes make a huge difference. Your voice makes a huge difference. Your story makes a huge difference. And when we have a situation where the wants and the needs of people across all parties are so out of step with one political party... I'm going to say it. The Republican Party has been standing in the way of this policy passing for decades and decades. Republican leadership has been saying they're the party that values families and of family values, but they have not at all been valuing families because they've been defunding and moving us away from the structures of support that allow hardworking people to have children, families, and succeed. And that's not okay. We do not want candidates and people who are in office to put barriers up to our success and our health. And so what's your advice for the next steps as we're coming into this time of sort of political attention again, where there are going to be some town halls, where there are going to be people out in communities, about what should people ask their member of Congress? Like how should they ask about this policy? So
3: yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. And I also just wanted to quickly talk on we looked at not just paid leave. We also looked at other issues very closely related to family, to issues of freedom, like uh, reproductive health and freedom, looking at care issues like childcare, long-term care, paid leave. And I think that I want to remind everyone, you know, we hear a lot about costs, about the struggles families are going through a lot of pollsters and 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 reporters talk about the the price of the pump and the cost of milk. Very important, absolutely 100% agree. But you know what costs a lot more than milk and gas? Childcare. It's losing 12 plus weeks of wages without paid leave. It's long-term care taking care of a family member with disabilities or an aging parent. These things are exponentially more than what we're hearing about in the news. And this is what is bearing out in the polling that we do. So just wanna remind folks that you have power. You have power to control the narrative You have power to control who wins elections, who represents you. And so we need to channel, I think a lot of the frustration and anger we've been feeling and do whatever we can to harness that into political will with our candidates and our electeds. So as Kristen said, anytime you interact with anyone running for office or in office, this needs to be your message. What are you doing for working families right now? What are you doing in terms of paid family medical leave, childcare, long-term care, Abortion rights, reproductive freedom. What are you doing? Tell me exactly what you're doing. What will you support? Because because your vote matters. Your support matters. It has a lot of power. Um, so again, just remember they work for you. And our country's at a tipping point right now. And they need your vote tremendously. Um, so make them work for it. Make them prove it to you. Uh, as I said, call, email, show up wherever they're at town halls, rallies and ask what they're doing where they stand and what they're going to do to get it done
0: i love your question of what they're going to do to get it done because these policies are so popular as you said at the beginning of this segment it would be hard to find a politician of any political party saying that they do not want paid family medical leave um Because it's the right thing to do, people. It is the right thing to do. So asking that question, hey, we know you agree with us on needing paid family medical leave. How exactly are you going to get that passed? What steps are you going to take for me and your constituents? That's a great question. How can people get involved with paid leave for all? How can people support paid leave for all?
3: Well, I, I mean, I hope, first of all, I assume you're all following Moms Rising on the social media, looking at the website, all these things, of course, listening to Kristen on the radio all the time. Um, but also you can follow us on, the, on platforms. We have all the the usual ones, although I need to get cracking on TikTok a little bit better. But everything else, we are there. We encourage you to follow us because we do try to post opportunities, ways to be involved. Our website, paidleforall.org you can take action with two clicks of a button. Um, uh, contact your representatives, ask them for paid leave. You can learn about things going on. And mostly we want you to just get involved and follow what's happening, share your story. We need you in this movement and we want you to feel like you're a part of it. It's something really meaningful. And and our goal is, you know, we do want to make history. We do want to win soon. And we want you to be there with us.
0: And we plan to make history, people. We plan. We've been watching the change over time. We've been watching the constituent support grow exponentially as people find out more about what's at stake and what's going on. And as people figure out they're not alone, that when this many people are facing the same types of struggles at the same time, we don't have an epidemic of personal failures. We have a national structural issue that we can and must solve together and that most other nations have solved already. And so this is totally doable, people, and it's doable in many different uh, political climates. We just need to make it happen, and this is the point where we say you listeners are way more powerful than you think, way, way, way more powerful than you think. Don and I have been working in political policy for quite a long time, and you know there's a difference between capital P politics, and that's what you see on the front page often. That sort of like yucky back and forth, and actual movement of lowercase p policy. And this is an area where lowercase p policy can be pushed by people power into big changes. And it's not gonna take necessarily a giant front page fight of yuck. It's just gonna take a lot of people raising their voices, coming together, sharing their stories. So please join on with paid leave for all. Join on now, join on tomorrow. You know, keep engaged, never give up. This is taking some persistence. We've had some persistence. It's gonna take a little bit more persistence. We're in a marathon and also a sprint. But we're so excited that you're joining us in the fight for paid family medical leave for all because it is necessary, people. Thank you so much, Dawn, for being on. Thanks for all you do. Thank you for being here with us.
1: Right back
3: at you. Thank you for having me.
0: We're going to take a quick break, but don't go away. Next up, we're going to talk about how to save lives, how to stop maternal mortality, how to increase the level of healthcare access and equity in the United States of America. We'll be back in just a quick moment. we
4: want to fight for love.
0: Welcome back to Breaking Through with me, Kristen Ralph FinkFinder, powered by Moms Rising. We have an extra special, spectacular guest who you're going to love hearing from Gina Arias of Dootaloo Moms Rising. Welcome, Gina.
4: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: I am thrilled that you're on because we're talking about something that we need to talk about a lot more, and that is the rights of people who are giving birth. Just recently, you went to an obstetric patient safety summit in Nashville, Tennessee. What was happening there?
4: Well, it was a four-day conference on Black maternal mortality, and there were professionals from all over the health field: community health, healthcare financing, public health, um, you know, patient safety, public health, healthcare law, and there were various speakers from uh, different disciplines. And it was actually the first community-led and designed collective experience to specifically address obstetric racism as an adverse event. So it was a very powerful event uh in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's critically important that we address obstetric racism in the United States of America in particular. A lot of people don't realize, but the United States of America is the only country in the World Health Organization of countries where maternal mortality is increasing, meaning more people are dying in childbirth, not decreasing. And black women are three to four times as likely to die in childbirth as white women. That's not okay. So what does it mean, and do you think it's a good thing that we have now determined that racism is at play and we can address that as an actual obstetric emergency.
4: Yeah, it's super important. Um, you know, we still have a ways to go, I think, in this country in terms of actually um, getting folks to recognize that. But you're right. I mean, the United States, you know, has the dubious distinction of leading the industrialized world in maternal deaths. So, when we talk about maternal deaths, we're talking about during pregnancy and within one year of childbirth. And, you know, according to the CDC, four in five of pregnancy related deaths in the US are preventable. I mean, that's 80%, which is outrageous um so you know you mentioned of course that the black maternal uh, mortality rate is three three to four times higher um you know than the rate for white women and in deep south states it's it's even worse um so it, it is something that's super important i think we have a ways to go but uh, we're talking about it and i think things are shifting
0: i'm so glad to hear that things are shifting how can people help shift it even more and faster in order to save lives
4: well i think that one of the things uh we should be doing is supporting spaces like uh, the summit uh that we went to that are really putting um, racism front and center because you know it's a difficult thing in this country sometimes to talk about people don't want to talk about it but um we we have to support spaces um and be in these in these um forums that really kind of break break things apart and and try to analyze and address how to uh, fix the problem. So, you know, um, I do want to mention that the um conference was organized by Dr. Karen Scott, and she was her brainchild and uh, is part of the birthing cultural rigor firm uh, of which she is a founder. And you know, Dr. Scott is a force. Um, she's an applied epidemiologist, a community-based and award-winning OBGYN. She serves on the Tennessee Fetal Infant Mortality Review Committee. And uh, you know, she she's really spearheading, she's one amongst um, other folks in this country that are spearheading uh, these discussions. and and really trying to um, turn this ship around.
0: I am so glad that there's an effort to turn the ship around. I can't tell you how thankful I am for your work and the work of all the people who were there. Um, What is Birthing Culture Rigor sort of as a whole and can people get involved in that as well?
4: So Birthing Cultural Rigor is a black woman owned and led quality improvement practice and research firm. And uh, BCR's primary objective is to build community and hospital capacity to recognize and respond to the phenomenon of obstetric racism, right? So their focus is on hospital labor, birth, and and in in the immediate postpartum period. Uh, You know, Folks should definitely follow them on Instagram um, there. Uh, it is BCR underscore Nashville on IG. They are there. And I noted that actually the dates for next year's summit are already up. Uh, they It will be November 13th to 17th and registration opens on March 6th. So uh, yeah, they should definitely follow them and, and get more information on how to get involved.
0: And this is, Particular topic of dealing with the birthing emergency, the racism emergency in America that is costing a significant number of lives, um, is one that people often wonder how can they get involved in. What is your advice to people on how to get involved and to stop racism in healthcare and in birthing situations?
4: So uh, I would say you know, look to the organizations that are leading this work. One of them is the Black Mamas Matter Alliance. They're definitely doing good work uh, around um, the Black maternal um, mortality crisis, Um, you know, and others um, in that that grouping of folks.
0: Another issue that's come up that's compounding the harm, particularly um in black communities in the south is the fact that abortion is being banned now we know that moms are the people who are most likely to need and have abortions six out of ten people who need and have abortions are in fact moms and we also know that when you ban abortions and don't give access to equitable maternal health care and don't have access to paid family medical leave affordable child care or fair pay that we have a massive, massive crisis on our hands. What's your take on the absolute blatant hypocrisy, ridiculous, racist, sexist, awfulness of banning abortion in the South and how it's affecting maternal health?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's something that is just set to worsen unless we we get back our bodily autonomy, essentially, um, which we lost uh, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. You know, like you said, in the South, where uh, there's a virtual ban in 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 these states, um, you know, in the South is where more than half of all Black Americans live. Okay, and so as you said, it's com- it's compounding the problem. Folks are essentially being forced to give birth in in these dangerous situations in places where the rural hospitals are closing. Uh, there are maternity care deserts. I mean, we have many, many counties that don't have one obGYn, not one midwife. People have to travel hours um, to get obstetric uh, care. And so, you know, it's like it's like a whole soup of um of of problems that is going to continue to fuel the the maternal mort- mortality rates in these places uh, if we don't make changes. You know, um, the scarcity, this scarcity of, uh, as I mentioned, doctors and midwives. And also many states are refusing to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. So there are just um, things piling on for, for many women in our country.
0: And they don't have to pile on. Like what you said is that there are federal government dollars available to expand access to health care that many of these states, southern states in particular, are turning away. And the states that have the highest maternal mortality rates are the states that are often the ones that are turning away the federal government money to expand their access to health care. It is beyond annoying. What can people do? I know they're all annoyed listening to this horrible situation of awful and, and hearing that all of these issue areas, these policy areas actually aren't separate columns they're not separated from one another they're actually one and the same you know if you don't have access to abortion care or bodily autonomy and don't have access to um actual equitable health care or to paid family medical leave or to child care then we all lose out and it hurts the whole family community economy and businesses so what should people be doing knowing that we are in front of such a big problem
4: yeah def- folks should definitely be advocating for um Several things. One is the Black Maternal Um M- Momnibus Act, which is a comprehensive um g- grouping of legislation. Uh, and you know, there are there are organizations like Mom's Rising <laughs> that are working to um tell tell the stories of women because that's that's one thing that's really important uh for our leaders to hear and to understand that these policies um you know the lack of um access to full the full scope of reproductive health care is is really hurting women hurting families um so i would say you know connect with organizations that are doing the work um i don't i do want to also add uh because it is the area that I am uh, closest to here at Moms Rising, the maternal mental health um, uh, problems that we're also having in this country. There was a recent report put out about um, ma- maternal mental health dark zones. Uh, so basically, one of the things that came out in the report is that 70% of counties lack sufficient maternal mental health resources. And uh, you know the top six states that are in these dark zones, Texas, Tennessee, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Indiana. Okay. So some of these are those uh, those same states where um, uh, there are near total abortion bans right now. So there's just so much um, going on and it really feels like uh, the health of our mothers in this country is at the bottom of our priorities list. And we really need to push our leaders to to change that.
0: Agree with you a million trillion times. Thank you for being on, Gina. Thanks for all you do. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for working to lift moms and families in our nation. Thank you. Thank you. Before we wrap up, I want to encourage everybody and everybody who's ever had a mother, everybody who has a belly button to go to www.momsrising.org. Sign on. It is free, and we will reach out to you directly on a regular basis to give you avenues to make your voice heard so you don't have to do the work of researching when, where, why, and how your voice is heard. We do that research for you. So go to www.momsrising.org and sign up today. It's free. Well, that's it for the show today. Thanks so much for tuning in as we tackle the top topics facing our nation in a way that requires the most boring disclaimer on the history of the planet Earth. Here goes. Views expressed on this show are those of the individual speakers and should not be attributed to Moms Rising, to this station, or to any news or social media service that may disseminate a recording of this show to the public or to any segment of the public. Boom, we'll catch you next week.